I'm Jack Hampton, and this is the Hampton Hoops Podcast. What up, what up, Coop? How are you doing, my friend? Surviving and thriving. Broke me, dude. (laughs) Let the fun begin. Let's get it. On today's pod, Coop and I discuss his prediction for the NBA Finals. We also talk about some news from that infamous Brooklyn-Philly trade, and there is a massive explosion about to take place for the Jazz in Utah. Oh yeah, and there is a Game 1 tonight I talk a little bit about as well. We discuss all of that and much more, so let's jump into it. All right, I'm going to kick off today's pod by discussing this Game 1 out in San Francisco tonight between the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors. I am so excited about this matchup. I cannot reiterate that enough. I do have Boston in seven. I know you know that. But this game one, you do not know my prediction for that. I'm taking the Golden State Warriors. And that is because Boston is coming off a hard-fought game seven in Miami, in which I'm sure they probably partied well into the night and had to fly up to Boston the same night. Probably got home around 4.30 to 5 a.m., And they had to fly out the very next day to the West Coast for the NBA Finals. So it's not a traditional three to four days rest that you think of when it comes to the NBA. Yes, it's better than playing every other night, but it's still not the same as Golden State. They've been been sitting around for a while. They've been hearing all this noise about how good of a team Boston is. Steph has been hearing he needs to win a Finals MVP. I think they're fired up and ready to go. This is their first finals game in the Chase Center. And that means something to them. Because Oracle meant a whole lot to them. And every time I watch an interview with them in the playoffs, it's something about their new building. And I feel like that's a big connection for them. It fires them up. And also, Steph, hearing all this legacy talk, he's going to be ready to go. He's going to have a massive game, in my opinion. Draymond's going to be all charged up. This is Clay's first season back in a long time. He's going to be ready to go as well. So I think the Warriors win by a wide, wide margin in this one. And it's built on a a lot of things, in my opinion. Yes, the rest, as I just stated. And also, Golden State still has not lost at home in these playoffs. And I don't think it starts in Game 1. I think it does start in Game 2 because I feel like if Boston has a shot at this series, they need to split these first two games. It'd be huge if they're flying back to Boston Sunday night, series tied 1-1, to and Game 3 is at the Garden. I feel like that would be massive for Boston. I think it's going to be a 6-7 to game series. I think it's actually going to be 7. But Boston in 7 means they will have to take a game on the road for the championship. Everything on the line in Game 7, I got Boston. It's the last time I'm going to say that until this Finals is over. Uh, I know I shouldn't be betting against the experience. That's another reason I have Golden State in Game 1. I feel like they know they need to come out and hammer these young cats and show them uh, their place. And I feel like they will do that tonight. Uh, Coop and I touch on every aspect of this matchup. And especially of this game one. So speaking of Coop, let's jump into that conversation. What up, what up, Coop? How are you doing, my friend? Oh, you know, surviving and thriving. Love to hear it. Love to hear it. We are finally back talking about some basketball we can be excited about. Game one of the NBA Finals is Thursday night at the Chase Center. Cooper, we do not have your very, very cherished prediction on this. So I'm going to give you the floor now to do with whatever you want to do with it. 
What is your prediction for the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors? I'm going with my heart more than my gut here, Jack. A lot of me wanted to take the Warriors in seven, mostly because I was like, they're a veteran team. Clay is looking a little bit more like himself. Wiggins has been arguably the best player on the Warriors this postseason. And that's not even an outrageous thing to say because even ESPN, when they dropped a top 10 on like the most important players in this series, he was at number three. It went Steph Curry, Jason Tatum, Andrew Wiggins. Um, so like even he's had an incredible postseason. And if we're being honest, he's going to draw the biggest task of guarding Jason Tatum. So like, um, Wiggins has been a key part to this series, um, and that's something that you really weren't expecting in his first like real run in the playoffs. Um, Draymond's looked like Draymond. Kavon Looney's looked like freaking Wilt Chamberlain. So I was really, I was really like, with my head, I wanted to pick the Warriors. But I'm gonna be honest with you, I I gotta go Boston in six, um, and that's more of a heart, and a, it's honestly more of a heart and a gut thing. The head pick would have been the Warriors in seven. But my reasoning behind it is, if I'm being honest with you, the Warriors' toughest challenge was a John Morant-less Grizzlies. Um, Denver was basically Jokic and a bunch of bums. And the Mavericks was Luka and a bunch of bums. And I'm sorry, Jalen Brown, Spencer Dinwiddie, and the Bang Bros. But no, nobody but Luka showed up in that series. So... It really, um, and we could be looking back after the Warriors win in four, and you could be like, well, Cooper, I guess that was just the Warriors neutralizing some really good players. And I mean, and I will be okay with that. I don't think that was the case. I think Boston is going to be the Warriors' toughest test yet. Drew Holiday is better than the role players that Luka or Jokic were playing with. And let's be honest, Brooke Lopez is still a quality NBA player. You have guys like Grayson Allen, who until the last two games was hitting everything he put up. Um, that was a tough series. And they not only won that series in seven, but they went into game six down 3-2, one on Milwaukee's floor, and then went back and won in the garden. That's tough right there. And then they literally faced the wrath of Jimmy Butler, my boy Hemi, um, and they beat them in seven on their home court. Um, they have proven to me that, yes, they might be young, but, Jack, they've been here. Jason Tatum's in his five seasons, has been to the conference finals, I think, three or four times now, and he has finally won it once. And I think the maturity grown through losses, such as, like, I mean, losing in the conference finals is not fun. You were one step away from being where the Larry O'Brien could be yours. And it's, they've I think, through that toughness and just the grit and determination that to get back there each year from Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart has shown me why I think they're more than capable of taking the Warriors down. Um, I know that's wild because the Warriors are doing what the Bulls did ish, uh, going to six championships in eight years. Granted the Bulls won all six of those. The Warriors have only won three. Um, I, I just, I gotta go with my gut. It's, it's with Boston. I, I should have stuck with them with Miami, but you know, I love Jimmy more yeah. than life um i just didn't realize jimmy was playing with a bunch of missing people um, <laughs> exactly so. i love the boston in six prediction just because i have them in seven the six does make sense if you're swinging the boston boston's way that they'd close it out at home in game six i'm nervous about mine because in order for boston one in seven 
There's going to be a game seven at Chase Center in San Francisco, and you're going to have to beat Steph, Clay, and Dre with the title, the entire championship on the line. And that concerns me. But at the same time, they've lost a game seven at home. They have. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was their third loss in a row, actually. So I, I feel like it's Jason Tatum's time to show out. I feel like he needs to take more shots down the stretch. That That's what concerns me because he was green lighting it to Marcus Smart all of game seven. It was incredibly frustrating if you were cheering for, for, the, uh, for the Celtics. And I was wondering in my head, why? Why does Tatum, is it just youth? Why he doesn't want to take it in the final minutes of the game? I'm not talking about the fourth quarter as a whole. I'm just talking about the final couple minutes of the game. And I was listening to an old interview with him from a few months back on JJ Reddick's pod, who does a fantastic job. And JJ just simply asked him about his shot profile, which is, you know, the difficulty of shots you take, basically, you know, what kind of shots you take. And he he got asked, how do you feel? Do you hear all this talk about your shot profile? And he had just said, honestly, I do. I hear everything about me. And it cost me an all-NBA spot last year because somebody did not like my uh, shot selection. And it cost me $30 million in incentives in my contract. And I feel like that's still in the back of his head down the stretch. And it shouldn't be. You should not be worried about your shot selection down the stretch. I want the ball in your hands. You're the best player. Yeah. And I love also what you said, Coop, about Golden State coasting like the Suns into these finals. I I love that so much because that is what we expected of the Suns. Uh, The Suns had an incredibly easy schedule to the finals, even easier than Golden State. And they they couldn't complete that. And Golden State did. They've passed it with flying colors. Um, When it comes to game one, though, I mean, I got to ride with the Warriors. How are you feeling about game one? solely on the rest that the Warriors have gotten. I mean, y'all just heard me go through what Boston's had to go through to get to these uh, finals. I honestly feel like uh, Golden State might jump on them just because they're a little more well-rested and they got a little more legs under them and they didn't have to travel um, So, because they're getting it in their own backyard. Um, so I, I can see a Warriors win, but Jack – at the end of the day, I'm just praying to sweet little baby Jesus upstairs that we get some close games. Yeah, just please. I don't care if the Warriors win. I don't care if Boston wins. Just please, please give me some close games. Like, give me more game six vibes in the last three minutes of game seven of mm-hmm. the Eastern Conference Finals. Give me those vibes, and I will be a happy, happy man. Because, um, I mean, let's be honest, we haven't talked about basketball in two weeks because uh, there's just not been content to talk about. Because uh, exactly. they've been blowouts. It's like me and you playing for the other team and just switching nights mm. because it just went back and forth blowouts. Um, but I can see, I, I can whole, wholeheartedly see the Warriors taking game one. Um, but it will be key for the Boston Celtics to steal one from Chase Center because it's not going to be easy to steal one from Chase Center at all. And you'd rather do it on the front end than the back end. Um, mm. But then again, Celtics took a game six from Milwaukee. They took a game seven from Miami um, at their home places. So I don't think that'll rattle this team too much. Because, I mean, let's be honest, playing in Miami and playing in Milwaukee, those are some those are some ruckus crowds. Um, probably, And I don't know too much about uh, Chase Center because I've never been there. But um, those are some tough places to win at. And Boston's done it with their backs on the uh, – uh, wall 
both times. So, I mean, I, I really don't think this will phase them, but I do think just because they have to travel and they've had a tougher road to get here, um, maybe the little uh, – their legs will, won't be as under them as well as the Warriors, and I think maybe the Warriors jump out to a 1-0 series lead. But I, I do like Boston a lot. Um, I like the way they match up a lot better than the way the Warriors match up. I know you and Trey talked about uh, potentially the Warriors going that small ball lineup. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think a small ball lineup for Boston is a little bit scarier. Because, and this, in my opinion, I'd probably keep Rob Williams out there in a small ball lineup or Al Horford at the five. But just the size of their small ball lineup would be so much bigger than Warriors. And I think they'd out rebound the crap out of them. Um, and I, because I, and I honestly think, as crazy as it sounds, and as much as we joked on our TikTok lives uh, about me picking Kavon Looney as the potential Finals MVP, I think Boston's going to want to keep Kavon Looney on the floor. Um, yes, yes, because they have a better chance with Rob Williams and Al Horford on the floor. But if Golden State goes small ball, guess what? Al Horford or Rob Williams is going to be at the five, and Jason Tatum's going to be at the four. And it's going to be Jalen Brown or Grant Williams at the three, Jalen Brown at the two, and Mark Smart at the one. I'm sorry. They're going to out-rebound the crap out of you. They're going to force you to put someone bigger on the court. So I really think the matchups here are going to be really interesting. Um, I've already read somewhere that uh, the people are going to be interested to see how much Jordan Poole actually gets to play in this series because they saw how bad Boston uh, targeted Duncan Robinson in that last series and even Max Drews um, and especially Tyler Hero in the seven minutes of cardio that he got, that boy got switched on every single time down the court and they made a bucket. Um, so I'll, I think the matchups are going to be really key in this one. Um, and we've already seen from Ime Udoka, uh, he clearly is capable. <laughs> I mean, yeah. shout out to I, him. I completely agree on the Kavon Looney front. My opinion on him, he's getting played the hell off the court, in my opinion. That he he made his money in that little stretch run he had, but this is this is big boy time. You're not gonna out rebound Robert Williams and Al Horford. I don't care if Rob's banged up. He is a hell of a lot better than Kavon Looney, in my opinion. I think he will get played off the court if yeah. you try to roll with him. Uh, the steal one, emphasizing stealing one on the road, uh, that that is huge. You're exactly right. Right before our conversation, I recorded my monologue. If you're listening now, you've already heard it. I said the exact same thing. It's steal one. I, I, with game yeah. one, I feel the same way about the rest and everything. Because, I mean, Sunday night, I'm sure they celebrated that win. They had to fly back to Boston, and then they're flying to the West Coast, uh, as I said. But... I don't think that's real rest for them, and I feel Golden State takes Game One, but Game Two, I think, or Game Two, I think Boston can take, and I think they can go back to the Garden for Game Three, uh, with the series tied one to one. Whenever it comes to playing on the road for Boston, like you highlighted, winning that big Game Six in Milwaukee, winning that Game Seven in Miami, I feel that they play better on the road and the statistics show that as well. Marcus Smart got asked about it after game seven and he said, yes, we do play better on the road. It speaks to our resiliency and our toughness. And that that's just the vibe of that team. They're a blue collar team. And I just love watching them play right now. But while we're on the topic of Marcus Smart, um, I was just talking about JJ Redick earlier 
And he's been in the news not because of anything he said or asked. It was because of what Marcus Smart said on his podcast three months ago. Uh, JJ just simply, again, simply asked, do you ever feel like the East is as wide open as it this as it is this year? And Marcus Smart goes, it's funny you said that. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, whatever year LeBron beat us in game seven of the conference finals, and JJ goes, 2018? Marcus Smart's like, yeah, 2018. We get beat in the conference finals. Uh, Kyrie's hurt. And I feel like if we would have beat LeBron in that game seven in Boston and advanced to the finals to play the Warriors with Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson, I feel like we would have beat them that year for sure. And my jaw is on the was on the floor just listening to this. And then I just started laughing hysterically that they would beat the 2018 Warriors, one of the most dominant teams of all time with Kevin Durant and Steph. That was a team that beat the Cavs, I'm pretty sure, in five games. LeBron and the Cavs and Kyrie and all them in five yeah. games. So uh, <laughs> the fact that an even younger Boston team even had a shot, to me, is laughable. But... I say all that because you don't think Draymond Green is putting that up on up on the bulletin board in the locker room. I mean, really, they they, they have heard about this because this has been floating around now. Even though it was months ago, it's been floating around all over Twitter all day. I'm sure the Warriors have heard about it, and I think that's even you know a bigger emphasis on Game One for them for sure. Yeah, that. <laughs> that honestly just shows you how much of a dog mentality the Celtics team is bringing. I mean, Marcus Smart versus Draymond is going to be funny. <laughs> um, and also, that 2018 finals was, I'm pretty sure, the J.R. Smith meme year uh, yeah. where he grabbed the ball out. And it is. LeBron, yeah, they got swept that year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was a 4 <laughs> a sweep by the uh, Warriors that year. <laughs> Honestly, I just find it hysterical that both of these teams are going to trash talk as much as they are. Uh, but I love that energy. I'm, I'm all here for it. As long as you back it up on the court, um, I'm here for it. But uh, to reiterate, you mentioned that Boston's a little bit better on the road. They got that mentality of just like a dog, like uh, Marcus Mar said. They uh, were 23-18 and 18 on the road this season. They averaged about uh, 36% from three, about 47% from the field had seven steals per game and about six blocks per game. So, I mean, they're pretty pretty dominant on the road. Um, they averaged about 113 points per game on the road. Um, so those will just be interesting to see if they can hold up because uh, we're getting like – I'm pretty sure it's the number one versus the number two defense uh, mm. for this thing. And I'm going to be honest with you, I had no clue the Warriors uh, had defense like that. Yeah, especially, it was net rating. Yeah, yeah net rating. especially because John Moran was averaging 40 on them before he got hurt but uh exactly. we're not talking about jaw i just had to put him in there shout out 12. Um, but no that brings me into just because marcus martin did that and i feel like that's a little bit added pressure now for the celtics to kind of back up that smack uh who which team do you think has the most pressure on them in this finals and it, whichever team you pick who which player do you think has the most most pressure honestly i don't think the celtics really have a lot of pressure on them i think the pressure on them was immense in game seven because this was Jason Tatum's third conference finals. It was time to get over the hump and he did. Now you're facing a team that has made their six finals in eight, in eight years. I'm going to say that stat a million times because it's a big accomplishment. And I feel like the pressure switches to golden state. They have home court advantage. They are the, they are 
the team that has been there and they have strutted into the finals. It's you're expected to win. They are the favorite. Um, and they have the experience on their side, which player, uh, I, I think it's gotta be obvious, man. It's gotta be Stephen Curry. I'm not the guy that has been, he needs to win a finals MVP. He needs to win a finals MVP, but he needs to play big. Whether he wins that award or not, it doesn't matter. He needs to be the best player on the court, in my opinion, because he hasn't really been that. Um, yeah. You know, you can argue in the Memphis series, when Jaw was on the court, Jaw was head and shoulders the best player on the court. That's not just being a homer. That was factual. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the Dallas series, whenever Luka didn't struggle, I felt like Luka was the best player in the floor. If you look at Steph's numbers, they're not out of this world right now. And I feel like he needs to come back and show that he can win a championship by being the best player on the court. And it's for his legacy. And honestly, if he ties LeBron James in titles, I feel like that's huge for him. That puts him in a different level. Nobody's talked about him in one of the greatest players of all time. Yeah. But uh, he keeps winning championships, man. The noise is going to be too loud where you have to put him in a conversation. I'm not saying... He's, you know, gonna ever gonna be as great as LeBron or Jordan or Kobe or any of those guys because I don't think he ever will. But you'll have to put him in the conversation, you know. So I mean, 1, it's got to be Steph and it's got to be the Warriors for me. How do you feel about that, on that? We're back to normal, Jack. You, I literally wrote down <laughs> Warriors and Wardell Stephen Curry. You literally, <laughs> I, love I love the fact that we think alike because I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't think Boston has any pressure at all. I mean, you're a young team and. You getting here just proves that you're going to be a title contender for the next five to ten years. I mean, like, you're just setting yourself up for success later. And this gives you quality and viable, uh, 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 not practice necessarily, but, like, you're getting the experience that's not many people get. Because, I mean, this is this is the end of the road. Like, this is what you play and start every season with the hopes of being in. So, like, I don't think there's any pressure on them at all. I agree with you. I think the biggest pressure probably came from their second-round series against the Bucks and the Game 7 against the Heat. Um, but I, I wholeheartedly think it's the Warriors. Um, can you back it up? Can you – everybody thinks you're on top of the world again. Can you prove it? Um, and I think Steph – and I don't care about Finals MVP because at the end of the day, I couldn't tell you who the last, like, six Finals MVP are. Um and that's not something I'll look at. At the end of the day, that Steph Curry is a Hall of Famer, regardless of how you spin it, with the Finals MVP or without. Um, I have no doubt about it. And if he's not one, whoever comes up with that and votes for that needs to be fired immediately and then rehired and fired again. Because Wardell Steph Curry is going to be a Hall of Famer. He has mm-hmm. changed the game as we know it. I know people don't like hearing that, but you never used to see seven-footers out there shooting threes. You never used to see kids i mean jack you and i were uh at uh, summer camps for three or four years you see kids out there hoisting up threes left right and center before they even know how to make a layup i mean he has changed the game as we know it um i honestly think he has the most pressure on him because like you said i don't think he's been as good uh not just even this playoffs this season um i I understand he was injured and and he just didn't shoot it as well this season and uh it's kind of wild. I always just, like, every time I watch a game of Steph Curry, I just always assume he's dropping 30. Uh, I think that's just kind of something we've been spoiled to. Like, we always are like, oh, he's, he's going to make at least five threes, and he's going to have 30. Like, that's just kind of how I am with Steph Curry. It's like every time I'm watching him, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's Steph Curry. Like, I mean, that's just kind of how I am. 
And so when I'm watching the ser- the Grizz Warrior series with Leah, she's never watched Steph Curry play before. And so when she looks at me like every single game, she's like, which one's Steph Curry? And I'm like, what? She, she was like, he hadn't done anything. I was like, dang, that's actually a great point. I was like, he really hasn't done much. And then, of course, in the one games, in the few games that he did, I'm like, there, you're getting the glimpse of what he, what he always was. And so I definitely think it's on him. Can you come out and just I, Marcus Smart's guarding you? If you if you put out, if you come out average thirty like we know you're capable of, because right now I think he's over the playoffs, the entire playoffs, he's only averaging. We'll round up for him and give him 26, which 26 is still incredible. Like, I mean, I'm not hating on those numbers. Um, but we know he's capable of way more than that. I want him to come out and prove that he's the best player on the court because he he should be. Um, but I, I want to see if he can come out and prove it. Um, just leave no questions on the table. Come out. Be dominant. Um, don't give an inch. Uh, I want to see the stuff that we remember for ages in this finals. Cause at the end of the day, yes, you've been in six in the last eight years, but you only won three. Um, and that, I mean, heck, batting, batting 500 is not a bad thing. <laughs> um, and by no means am I saying that, but I, I think he definitely has the most pressure and it's coming from a lot of people just saying he has to win a finals MVP for his legacy. Screw that. Cause that's BS. If you're having to bank on a finals MVP for your legacy, then his legacy must not be that big at all. He is one of the best players to grace our to grace the basketball court, and we gotta stop acting like he's not. Um, he's incredible, um, but I do think he has the most pressure riding on this. Um, and I, I, if he wins one, great. If he doesn't, I don't care. <laughs> That's kind of my take on that one. No, you're exactly right, man. And I love how you touched on Marcus Smart guarding him because. I feel like that's not getting enough attention. Smart on Curry is absolutely blockbuster when it comes to matchups. Marcus Smart is coming off a Defensive Player of the Year award, and you get to put him on the greatest shooter of all time. I mean, that is what basketball is all about. It's the one-on-one matchup is there. The great team matchup is there. That's why I love this series. And Marcus Smart and Steph Curry, I, I cannot wait to see how Curry's off-ball movement changes. Because you know Marcus is going to be watching film for four days straight on uh, sets and everything they run for Steph Curry and all the off-ball movement Steph does to get the ball. Because I just think that matchup's really, really incredible. And on the youth of the Celtics and not having any, any pressure that you were talking about, you're completely right. Because, I mean, this is a thing we talk about every year. <clears throat> Jason Tatum turned 24 in March. That's outrageous. I feel like like this guy's been in the league for 35 years. Like and he just oh turned 24 God. in March. That's insanity. Jeez. And he's been to he this was his third conference finals. His third Jeez. conference finals. That's that's crazy. And another thing he was talking about in an interview I was watching with him is he was like I've been like spoiled. <laughs> like my first year I of course I couldn't grasp like how rare it was and like the first half of this year i feel like i got you know smacked in the mouth and we're sitting there at 18 and 21 in the middle of january 11th in the eastern conference 
I, I was used to walking into practice every day my first couple years, everything being happy, you know, we're, we're good, we're one of the best teams in the league. No, it was not that way at all this year. And I feel like he's learned from that and he's grown. That's that's why I'm betting on him, to be honest. Facts. No, dude, the fact that he is 24 and not 27 is <laughs> wild. I know that's not a big difference, but I swear that dude's got to be older than that. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, dude. The, I think I heard a stat today that they were 25 and 25, and then they went 26 and five in like the last games, couple games, something outrageous yeah. like that. Yeah, that's just how dominant they were over the la- the second half of that season. Mm-hmm. I, I'm excited. Um, yeah, I hope, hope the excitement's not misplaced like it was in these conference finals. But I'm excited. Yeah. I don't think it will be because I feel like that like it's gotta the average has gotta come back at some point. We can only have right. so many shit games in a row, and I feel like it's if it was gonna happen, yeah, just be the conference finals. Don't be the NBA finals, please, please, please. right? But uh, let's pivot from this NBA final series. I love talking about it, but we have other news to get into. Cooper's came with a couple questions he wants to ask. So Cooper, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the floor. Floor is yours. All right, all right. So uh, I don't have Twitter, but I think I definitely am going to have to get some to pay attention to some Woj bombs and some Lane Kiffin uh, entertainment. But uh, Woj <laughs> dropped some news today um, on a team that, I mean, you and I really don't care about this team, but we did mention this earlier. Um, and he was basically saying that Quentin Snyder and the higher-ups are, are unclear on their futures together. Um Basically, meaning that he thinks the Quinn Snyder exit is probably looming, um, and I I think that it's probably going to happen. I hate it because I think Quinn Snyder is an actual a really good coach. Um, I just think the course ran out on this team, and he's going to be the first one to go because um, that's usually how it works. I mean, look at Terry Stotts with Portland. Um, you had teams like uh, Washington that they kind of gave up on John Wall and Bradley Beal. I mean, there's a bunch of teams that this happens to, and usually the coach is the first to go. Um, but what are your thoughts on a potential Quinn Snyder leave and then maybe even potential Jazz blow-up of Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert Corps? Yeah, the more I read into this whole Utah situation, the more like awe I get. Because we knew there was going to be a blow-up. Like We knew it was looming, especially with the first-round exit. But... I'm reading about Donovan Mitchell being chopped around. I'm reading about Rudy Gobert on top of Don being chopped around. I'm reading, and then I'm learning from you that Quinn Snyder uh, may leave. This blow up is going to be bigger than anybody could have ever expected. I thought it was going to be a choose between Rudy and Donovan, and now it looks like it could be even both, including their coach. (laughs) You know, all three of them. So I feel like this this blow up is going to be bigger than we all expected. I, I guess it's needed. I, I really think it is needed. Uh, Quinn Snyder doesn't deserve the blame. We talked about Frank Vogel not deserving the blame for the Lakers, but Quinn Snyder even at a bigger level because he's one of the best coaches in the league. I, I really do believe I that. Agree. I feel like he will not be on the uh, free agent coaching market for very long. No. <laughs> no, I did I completely agree. I think Quinn Snyder is a great coach. I mean, let's be honest. This team was the number one seed of the, like they were the best team in the NBA last season going into the playoffs. I mean, it's just one of those things where like when your star two players hate each other, that's not on the coach. Like at the end of the day, just because Rudy Gobert is an idiot with the COVID crap 
and Donovan Mitchell thought he was lame for it, and then they disagree on offense and defense. Like, that's not a coach's fault. Um, I agree with you. I think Quinn Snyder is going to be an assistant coach for like one year, and then one of the really bad teams uh, is going to bring him in, and he's going to turn a team around. I think he's that good. I'm going to be honest with you. I had on here, who who would you pick uh, out of Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert? But I agree with you. It sounded like they're both going to go. Um, I was not prepared for a massive blow up. I was prepared for like a two or three year rebuild around one guy. Um, mm. We pick between the two, um, but it definitely does sound like they're both going to be gone. Um, but if you if you were the GM of the Utah Jazz, would you pick between one of the two, or would you get rid of both and try to remold and uh, rebrand your team so or like reculture your team? I would, I would build around Donovan if I could, if if the ties weren't too severed, um, because I feel like there's a lot of interest in the league around Rudy Gobert, especially for a Dallas Mavericks team that got pummeled on the inside in the conference finals. Yes, Rudy gets played off the court in the playoffs, but you know you're thinking when you're sitting there watching Kevon Looney out rebound you and out physical you you're like damn i really wish i had a guy like rudy gobert right now especially defensively as well and i I feel like dallas would give him the bag and give up a lot to get him i feel like pretty much any team in the league would because he is a three-time defensive player of the year um there are a huge contingent of upper management people that love rudy gobert hence why he wins all of these awards so i feel like you could get a lot for him and donovan mitchell i mean the guy's still young He's a superstar in this league, and I would 100% build around him if I could, if he didn't want to leave. Now, if he doesn't want to be there and it's a James Harden situation, I don't think Donovan would force his way out. But if it's if he seems still kind of uh, disgusted with what's going on with the roster and the coaching decisions, might as well not have a cancer in the locker room and just completely blow it up. But, yeah, I would, I would definitely build around him. How do you feel about that, Coop? We're back to normal. Everybody, if you were worrying – that me and Jack disagreed on the conference finals. Don't be. I would pick Donovan Mitchell in a heartbeat over Rudy Gobert to build a team around. Because um, I know you and I have kind of talked about we'd love to see Donovan in like maybe a Knicks uniform. Uh, and you were, uh, we were talking this weekend uh, that potentially Miami. Uh, and so like, there's a lot of rumors out there around Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. There's a lot of center needy teams. Um, we've hit on the Hornets quite a few times. You just hit on the Mavericks. Uh, you got the Portland Trailblazers that don't really have a big that they're relying on. Uh, there's quite a few teams out there that could really use a Rudy Gobert type center. Um, and so, honestly, if they blow it up completely and they get rid of everybody, they might not have that long of a rebuild because you're probably getting valuable assets in return. Um, so I'll definitely be interested to see what – becomes of this jazz and Quinn Snyder situation over the next few weeks. But uh, no, I mean, I, th- I thought it was wild to see that Quinn Snyder is going to get the can because he's not a bad coach by any means. Uh, it, his team just kind of ran its course. And I mean, that happens. I mean, we've seen it so many different times that just players don't work out together. Heck, just a few months ago, we were talking about the potential split up between Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. You even saw them embrace after they won the – uh, Eastern Conference Finals, and Jason Tatum says to him, they told us that we couldn't do it together. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that just proves to you that sometimes they ran run their courses. Sometimes you just got to give it a little bit more time. Um, but on this one, I'm gonna be like you. If they don't want to be there and they hate each other, they're not gonna win an NBA Finals hating each other. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. let's be honest. Exactly. That's just it's a waste of time and money. Um, so I'll definitely be interested to see that. But I'm gonna pivot to another team that. This is more or less about a guy that I know you can't stand, and it's going to bring much joy to my heart to get you talking about him again. But Wolves dropped another news uh, about the – it's on the Brooklyn and Philly trade front. So in the trade uh, to acquire James Harden from Philly, uh, Philly gave up a pick that basically Brooklyn could postpone and push back for one year. So the Nets have postponed their pick, declining the 23rd overall pick, and Woj basically said he was like, it looks like they're just going to hope and pray that they're, uh, the Philly is worse next year. Um, and hopefully it moves up from the 23rd to up more. Um, so what do you think about this move on the Nets? Are they on to something, thinking that the Philly might not be as good next year? Or is this not a smart move? Just take the pick now, get some assets. I can see it going either way. That, that 23rd pick, you think that's good for Philly because it's a team with championship out aspirations. I got bounced pretty easily in the second round. But on the flip side of that, this was the first season in a pr- pretty much in Joel's career where he was healthy the entire time. He was healthy the entire season. That's why a lot of people should have felt that he should have won MVP. His numbers were there all year long, and he his health was good. And I think they're banking not on James and Joel, you know, not playing well and having a good season. I think it's more of banking on an injury between one of the two. James has been struggling with injuries quite a bit the past couple years. And Joel, I mean, his whole career has been riddled with injuries. I think it's banking on that. And also another aspect of it is Joel, his final post-game interview, he said Houston James is not the guy we have he's more of a facilitator and that that is a little bit you know if you want to say it or not even if it's taken out of context that is a little bit of a dig in james yeah and i feel like that little crevice could separate even more as the year goes on and when you get in the playoffs you have to be clicking on all cylinders and i think to be honest i don't think that team's going to go any farther than they did this year i don't think they're going to the conference finals next year and one, they have to be healthy. Two, they have to get along with two guys that I can't see getting along and two guys I can see not being healthy. I, I don't think either one of them can be healthy for the full year next year. So I think it could be it could be taken either way because I feel like it's going to be a similar pick next year. I mean, that's just my opinion if we're looking at it realistically. But I don't know. It's, it's bold by Brooklyn for sure. But I already feel like um, – I don't know if they won the trade or not. I feel like it's the first trade ever where there's two losers in it. So, <laughs> but, but I mean, it is what it is. How did you feel about it? Would you have deferred to next year or would you have kept it? Honestly, I probably would have done the same thing Brooklyn did. Um, in the few games we got to see uh, the Philadelphia 76ers with Joel and James, just in the regular season, they were 14 and seven. Um, at, and then of course in the playoffs, didn't they lose in five or was it six to Miami? Six. Okay, so they played a total of six or twelve in, uh, NBA playoff games and they won four, or they won six and they lost six. So at the rate we're going, they're on a trajectory of going basically five hundred. <laughs> um, exactly. Which going five hundred is not giving you much higher than the twenty third pick. Um, so I think it's honestly kind of it's a ballsy move just because what happens if Joel and 
and James are healthy all year. And as much as we hate on James Harden, the man still did average, um, I think, double-digit assist. I want to say he was, like, second in the league in that. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he's not scoring the 30 points like he used to. And that's kind of and that's kind of how I took the Joel. He's not, uh, he's not Houston James anymore. Because um, at the end of the day, something's got to come back down. Like, you're not going to spend the rest of your career averaging – 36 34 and 30 in back-to-back-to-back seasons um Mm -hmm. granted this season he did average 21 so like that's that's a 15 point drop from your highest season to your lowest basically yeah and he did Um, have 11 straight games under 25 points exactly it's not a massive amount for a superstar 21 is his lowest since his third year in the league so that's when he was a six man for OKC. It's different than like regular season. Regular season numbers, I wasn't worried about. It was my thing was in the playoffs. Joel's out. You have to score to win. You have yeah. to score to win. And even with him in after that trade, they have no bench. They had the worst bench in the league after making that trade with Seth yep. Curry and Andre Drummond involved. So I mean. Yeah, you can facilitate all you want to, but I'm not asking for 36, 34, 30. I'm not even asking for 28. Just give me 25, bro. Like, Facts. Just give me four more points a game, and that that, yeah. that was my thing with him. Yeah, he only averaged 18.5 points in this playoffs. Uh, he averaged 16.5 as a six-man with OKC in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So you basically are about to pay 35 to $45 million a year for a six-man caliber type player because that's what he's playing like. Um, so I think it's honestly hysterical that Brooklyn did this trade or did this made this decision but I also think <laughs> that uh, I think they might be onto something because um, yeah. I'm going to be honest you had Jimmy Butler say, saying the my favorite quote of the playoffs as far as the Tobias Harris over me, me? <laughs> um, and then you have Joe Elson there saying he's not Houston James anymore I don't know what y'all expected and field day yeah, you can already see the James Harden in the locker room kind of taking effect. And I hope that's not the case because you and I both love Joel. Um, I'm having a newfound love for Matisse Thibel after I've played against you with him in 2K a few times. Because um, he's literally a god, y'all. If y'all haven't played with Matisse in the game, that man was out there blocking my 7-1 center. Um, go get him. Anywho. Um, and you and I both love Tyrese Maxey. So I love, I love a lot of players on that 76ers team. I'm just still worried that they made the wrong decision. And I honestly feel like that's what Brooklyn is banking on. And who who knows? Next year, Brooklyn might just be like, oh, it's the 23rd pick again, so we didn't really lose anything. And it could go like that. We don't know. I think they're smart for doing it. Um, just because, like you said, Joel had – this is like the first season he's played fully healthy. James Harden really hadn't played a full season fully healthy yet. They didn't look great when they played together. So I think it's a smart, smart decision. Um, mm. But, you know, I had to get you talking about small game, James. Uh, I, I love – just give me any shot to talk about him. You know me. <laughs> While we're on the subject of health, bro, we talked a little bit about this on TikTok Live. But Zion Williamson, something that flew under the radars, he got cleared to fully participate in team activities this offseason, which is huge. Something we expected to hear months and months and months ago. He had major setbacks from his uh, surgery on his right foot. Uh, there was, you know, he was supposed to come back at the beginning of the season. Then it was December. Then it was, you know, February. And then it was maybe the playoffs, and it just never happened. But he's finally been cleared. 
I know you and I talked about this, but just to reiterate, how do you feel about New Orleans going in the offseason? They had a great run in the playoffs. They found something in Alvarado and CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram. How do you feel about them? Oh, dude, I love this team. And it's honestly one of those things where I'm like upset that I love them as much as I do because they've done a decent job. But I'm also scared as crap with this team. Mm-hmm. Um, like, let's just on paper talk on this out. CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Herb Jones, Zion, Jonas, off the bench, Devontae Graham, Jose Alvarado, um, that Trey Murphy dude honestly looked pretty good in the minutes he was getting. Jackson Hayes was starting in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, that's nine deep right there, and they have a top the eighth pick. Is it the eighth or tenth? It's it's one of those. They have a top ten pick, yeah. regardless. It's eight through ten. So you're getting in a draft class that I think is pretty dang deep. You're going to be getting a really good player, um, who can probably contribute year one, depending on who you take. Because you could take someone who's going to be a really big project, and you might not rush them into it but you could get a really good player i don't know who's being projected to them i'll probably look into that a little bit more as i kind of get more and more in depth in this draft class um they are in a very good position um and they're honestly not in the same way as the grizzlies but they're in a very similar situation to the grizzlies that you really have the full wheel and by that I mean like you can turn to the right and you can trade a few of these players kind of sure up your defense kind of sure up your point guard situation kind of sure up something this that or the other by giving somebody up that you think you have a capable backup or a capable something or another in the draft and by this I'm kind of more or less talking about Jonas because I don't fully see the fit alongside Zion just yet with him um but you have the potential to move somebody and maybe get somebody who will fit next to a Zion Brandon CJ core, or you could have somebody that could fit next to a CJ Zion Jonas core by getting rid of Brandon. I don't, I think they'd be dumb to get rid of Slenderman. I love Brandon. I think he's lethal. Um, and you have really good picks like Jack. They have a lot of ammo to go out and do a lot of good things. So, as much as I think it'll be interesting to watch what the Utah Jazz do with their kind of blow-up rebuild start, this New Orleans team can really jump into a contender really quick. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I did not expect them to play as well with CJ McCollum, but you and I both love CJ. He's a massively underrated player. He's almost like DeMar DeRozan was coming into the season because nobody watches San Antonio Spurs basketball, but DeMar DeRozan was still just incredible over there and he was incredible in Toronto and nobody really gave him the time of day um CJ McCollum goes right there with him he is super underrated he dogged the Grizzlies every time in the bubble um and that's the reason we didn't make the playoffs that first year um they have a really solid team really solid core and the great thing about it is I just named off nine or ten players that they have you can pick who you want to start and build this team around out of those players and get more players that'll fit that mold. So they have a lot that they can do. They can go any way with it, which is awesome to have. It's a, it's really nice to have comfortability and flexibility. And that's what I love so much about our Grizzlies right now is they have comfortability and flexibility. 
and they can do whatever the frick they want and it'll it, it won't hurt what we have going right now the pelicans are right there with us and that's what scares me is because i do not want to have to compete against Zion because i swear to god every time we play him he has a 40 20 game and it's just infuriating <laughs> But I like this Pel- I like this the way the Pelicans are going right now. Yeah, I do too. I think they're they're in a great spot heading into the offseason. The Jonas Valanciunas question is something real for me. Uh, I don't like that alongside Zion Williamson. From a Grizzlies perspective, I am scared shitless as well. We've never had an answer for Zion, even just you know for the short time he's been in the league. We've never had an answer. You can't put Jaron on him because he'll foul out in three minutes. Thanks. And you can't really put anybody else on him because – they're not big and strong enough to uh, out-physical him. And if you put a little guy on him, I mean, that's going to happen. If you put a big guy on him, he can just run right around you and fly up over you. So I feel like they're a matchup nightmare when Zion's on the court. We had a lot of success against him this year. That's because Zion didn't play. But, uh, yeah, they scare me definitely as well. No, they're going to be – I feel like we're going to be talking about them quite a bit uh, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, for sure. A team we were talking about a little bit earlier was the Utah Jazz blowing up. Former Grizzly Mike Conley was there. He did he did not have a good playoff outing. It was actually atrocious. Like A lot of people thought he was hurt or something was seriously wrong with him because he did not play well. But if they end up moving off him, which would make sense if they're you know going to go ahead and blow up everything, off the top of your head, can you think of like anywhere where he would fit really well? Is he a backup point guard still? Or, or is he a backup point guard now or is he a starter still? Like how do you feel about former Grizzly Mike Conley? Yeah, Grizz legend Mike Conley, who's gonna have his jersey hanging in the rafters one day. Um he's a guy I've been thinking about a lot, I'm gonna be honest with you. Um because I've just been kind of sitting there looking and I, the more and more I look at the Grizzlies offseason, I keep looking for that backup point guard replacement. And I keep coming across the line that I don't think they're going to get someone in the draft to be the backup point guard. I really think they're going to go get a veteran guy. I think Mike Conley's career is getting to the point where he is backup, a six-man type, backup point guard type. And I think he would kill it. I think he'd embrace that role. I think he would uh, mentor um, – a starting point guard really well, a young starting point guard really well. Or, you know, there's as much as we love the Boston Celtics, they still don't really have a true point guard. Um, and Stephen A was popping his lid on that one too, uh, post game, talking about how they don't have a solid backup or solid point guard to facilitate. Um, so there's clearly teams out there that could use point guards, but I honestly. As if his contract wasn't as massive as it was, Jack, I would tell you I'd want the Grizzlies to go out and trade for him right now, have him as our backup point guard. Um, and you know I'm doing that mostly because that's just my heart, and I, I love Mike Conley so much. The first jersey I ever got was a number 11 Memphis Grizzly Mike Conley jersey, so you know it. he means a lot to me. Um, but I do think we're at the point where he is a backup point guard. Um, and I don't think he would – I think he'd be the first to tell you that he's probably like, yeah, I need to transition. Um, because at the end of the day, Mike Conley is not young <laughs> anymore. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think he's 33, 34. I could be really wrong on that. And I could be like giving this poor boy way too many, uh, way too much on the years of life. But, uh, I do think he's turned into a backup. 34. He's he 34. Is 34. Um, mm. I think he's got to that point. And honestly, if he wants to stay in the league long, 
like longer, which you never know. He could just be like, "Hey, look, I've had my run. I think we're gonna hang up the hang up the Jordans." You know, I mean, he could do that. Um, I think he's got a little bit left in the tank, and I think he'd be best suited as like a Lou Williams uh, type backup point guard. What are you thinking, though? Honestly, I love the Boston fit that you mentioned. I feel like he'd be perfect for that, and I think, um, you know, if he could be a backup for Boston if the Marcus Smart thing if they win a championship this year I'm not going to say that Boston needs anything but the one thing they have needed is someone down the stretch to set up the offense and keep it going and you know get everybody in their half court set properly because they have just settled down the stretch that's why they're one of the worst um, clutch time teams in the entire league because they (laughs) They try to run the clock down, and they don't start their offense early enough. They start it with, you know, 10 or 11 seconds left in the shot clock because they're focused on running the clock down towards the end of the games when they have a lead instead of, you know, having a facilitator set them in their offense and uh, run what they usually run. But I love that Boston fit. But, yeah, I I, I think it's time, you know. He does have some in the tank, but it's time to be a backup point guard for sure. Um, Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Even with Phoenix, dude, like, if Chris Paul went down in the playoffs, you know he's going to break down in the playoffs like he always does. I think Conley, you know, having that in your back pocket in the playoffs would be huge for Phoenix yeah. as well. Yeah. And was, the Lakers. Yeah. I yeah. Mean. You, you're literally t- – I was about to give you so many teams because I'm looking right here on, like, uh, top five needs per team and Boston point guard is, like, exclamation mark severe. Um, mm. The Bulls even don't really have a starting point guard. Um, the mm. Clippers – I mean, that'd be a. I think that'd be as much as, as much as I would cry if I saw him in a Clippers jersey. They do. They could really use a point guard. He could start there. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. And you already mentioned the Suns and the Lakers. Um, so, like, I, I really think he he has he still has a place in this league. I don't think it's time to retire, um, unless that's what he wants to do. I mean, you never know with these guys. We we see guys retire all the time, but I think he's got a lot left in the tank. I mean, there's definitely teams out there that could use a Mike Conley for veteran leadership. And also, I mean, the dude's an incredible basketball player. I mean, yes, he's not at the peak of his career like he was when he – I don't even remember how much he averaged that one season that got him paid. But he's still got a lot left in the tank. And I think there are definitely teams out there that could use uh, Mike Conley kind of a point guard. No, for sure that, for sure. You got anything else? Nah, fam, I'm good. I'm good. I got everything out, too. So we will wrap this up. We will speak again next week. We'll have a game one and two in the books. We'll be able to talk a lot more in detail about the NBA Finals. We'll have a feel for it. Will it be a 2-0 series or a 1-1 series heading back to Boston? I can't wait to touch on that. Coop, Trey, and I, we're all ecstatic about this NBA Finals, and we're even more excited about the offseason. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And Coop, I hope you have a great night, my friend. Yes, sir. You too.